I read recently the, the stories that you like. Uh, what you like best in stories. Because I've always, I've always like found that an interesting thing. What do particular people like to hear about? Uh, particular age groups like to hear about. I, I, I read those things because they probably are wrong. But, it, but they're fun to read anyway. You know, statistics say. And I read recently that, that you particularly are interested in stories um, by uh, one of the things, there are a number of different things, but, but uh, one of the things is like those who skipped some steps on the way to success. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. You know, the ones, I mean, like, boom, young guy up at the top of Facebook, in case, for you, for you older guys, just so you know what that is. And, um, and then, for us older guys, I should say, you know, or, or like um, the uh, the the. The, the Spie Spiegel and Murphy. You guys know who Spiegel and Murphy is? Are? Or is? No? No! You don't know who Spiegel and Murphy are? Oh, that's just terrible. They came up with Snapchat. You know, I mean, these guys, I mean, these guys are like, I mean, they're almost teenagers. They're 23, 24. I think they might be 24, 25 now, or something like that. They're right in there. And they turned down what would be the equivalent for them in their pockets, $750,000, I mean, sorry, $750 million per, per dude uh, as for what they came up with, with Snapchat. And at that point in time, it wasn't making any money. And they turned it down. It's just amazing to me. What did they say? They said, well, it just wouldn't be fun. You know, <laughs> they, they wanted to do this. So, so, and even if you're older, by the way, you always like those stories about the guys who make, the, make it big, you know, the, the big hit, the big success, some, something that really made it happen. You like that kind of stuff? I, I do. You know, I kind of into that. And uh, it, because success stories catch your attention. You know, I mean, I don't really like reading about failures. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't, you know, that's why I don't read about myself. I'm, you know, I, we, we, we like these stories. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm, I'm a big success. Um, we, we like these stories because we care, not because we care about, the, about Zuckerberg or Spiegel or Murphy, but because we dream of making it big without actually paying the price. Right? That work for you? Oh, yeah, it would work, you know. Uh, it would have made it would have made business a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Um, well, at least it seems that way. I mean, I don't know. I haven't lived on that side of the fence, so I really don't know what it's like over there. But in last week's passage, um, and I, I have to kind of refer back to that because even though Mike preaches on it, I always have to add something to something Mike says. And there's this 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 guy in there. His his name. He got an honorable mention, and and he's kind of you know you know what I always wonder about the guys who get the honorable mention in scripture, don't you? It's like, they, they, their name was mentioned in a little bit, but you don't really know much about them. But this guy, his name was Epaphras, or I don't know how you pronounce it. I pronounce it Epaphras. And, um, and therefore, since I'm the preacher, I'm right. Um, and you guys have to say, oh, he knows what he's talking about because he knows Greek and Hebrew. Um, well, not really. But um, Epaphras was singled out as a beloved fellow servant in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 in just a moment, so if you're like one of those people who have to hunt for it, that's fine. If you've got it on your phone, you can get it real quick. But um, in, in, in Colossians 1, he was called a beloved fellow servant. However, it, what's interesting is he is not the main star 
of the rapidly spreading gossip. See, he's kind of like this guy that's making the gossip happen. If you, if you go back to, to Zuckerberg, you know, he's, people talk about Zuckerberg because of Facebook, and they talk about, well, you guys don't even know who Spiegel and Murphy are, but you, they talk about those guys, those young guys that came up with Snapchat because of Snapchat and Facebook, but not because of them, and because of all this money that came pouring in on them. And everybody's gossiping, and you can read about those people. But Epaphras is the one spreading gossip. What is he spreading? He's spreading this holy gossip about the Colossians. And, he's te- and it's gotten to Paul, well, partly because Epaphras got to Paul. And so it's gotten to Paul, and Paul is saying, is, is, uh, is, is kind of excited. He's, he, he, he responds to this holy gossip with a prayer. He responds to the holy gossip with a prayer. And uh, and that prayer launches in verse 9 of Colossians 1 and goes all the way through, uh, well, actually goes basically most of the way through the chapter. The first part of that prayer, it just goes through verse 20. And uh, and that's one run-on sentence of 218 words. See, that sounded ominous, didn't it? I like that, you know, 208. I should talk deeper, though. When I, it's 218 words through verse 20. And uh, but let's, let's, if you would, let's open your Bibles together. Let's kind of get in there, kind of take a look at it. Uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 9, and read this intercessory portion of the prayer. We're only going to go through verse 14. Um, it, I'm not covering all of it tonight. But if we look just through 9 through 14. Let's take a look at that for a moment. Uh, chapter 1. 1 of Colossians 9 through 14. It says here, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, by the way, I'm reading from New American Standard, so if your reads differently. By the way, if you have the ESV today, I vote for ESV. I just didn't have it handy to bring, all right? The translation's good. Is that what's up here? This is a good translation, all right? This is a good translation. Read that one, but I'm going to read mine. It's New American Standard. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving... That's why I like that one better. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Let's pray for a moment. Father, as we begin talking about this passage, we want to commit this time to you. Lord, we want to commit our thoughts to your thoughts and kind of just listen to what you have to say to us. Not because there's a man up here speaking, but because you in your spirit are speaking to us. And Lord, help us to hear what you're saying to your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, my prayer, my prayer for you, my prayer for you is that you will be filled with the authentic knowledge of Christ resulting in effective wisdom and a fruitful growing way of life. That's a mouthful. But that's my prayer for you, that you have an authentic faith 
an authentic walk with Christ. Isn't that, that would be, I would, I would want to know him like that. A, a beautiful reality in this prayer, by the way, is that it was motivated by this holy rumor of Epaphras. He was sharing with Paul as he came to him in prison. And so, you know, it's like, I'm always amazed at what Paul does from prison. I guess I'm not much of a writer. You know, I hate writing. You know, that when I worked on in seminary and such, I just like papers. Oh, you know, and always writing all this stuff. So I try to avoid those kind of things if I could. The other thing I hate is public speaking. So um, those things are, are a struggle. You know, I have, you have to trust God for those things. But Epaphras, you know, he comes to in prison. And, and uh, the, second, the second beautiful reality in this prayer is that Paul keeps on praying it. He says, I am continually, I'm never stopping, I'm always praying for you. Folks, I believe, and I know the, the elders here pretty well, I, I, I believe that your elders are always praying for you. They're always praying for you, but you know, it's interesting to me, your elders are also always praying for the community around us. And that we really have a concern and a heart for the people here. But when, when we hear of what God is doing in your life, it spurs us to pray for you. It makes us think about you. And I mean, you probably do the same thing. You get kind of pushed into that. Um, he never stopped. Of course, the content of the prayer is to me the most significant. Paul's prayer was loaded with purpose. He, he was... Uh, he wants them to be filled with knowledge. Not with just any knowledge. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, I have known many knowledgeable people. You know, and, and they intimidate, do they intimidate you? People that are knowledgeable intimidate me. You know, they know all kinds of things. Um, and, and what they know, he says, they, they, you know, people I know science and business and philosophy, they've impressed me. I'm like, wow, they know stuff. I love business writers. I don't know why. I just, it's really weird because it ought to be boring. But, um, but I like to read those things, and they're interesting, and they impress me. People who study this stuff impress me. But there are also people, I've, I've even met knowledgeable theologians. And since I am a theologian, you know, they intimidate me. And I'm like, these people are really knowledgeable. And, you know, gosh, do I know that much? And, uh, and so they kind of intimidate me. But knowledge is helpful. And I like to know something, but G Paul says here, I pray that you will know His will. And don't we always want to know that? I mean, I don't know about you. I, all the time people say, I just want to know what God wants. What is God's will for my life today? And, uh, and Paul is saying, I'm praying that you're going to know it. And my prayers are going to get answered. And I like that. I like that. You see, but there's another problem with knowledge. Before I get to his will, knowledge is helpful. However, the, the scripture says that knowledge puffs up or makes arrogant. <laughs> but love edifies. So we need to be careful about this knowledge thing. As God gives you knowledge and increases your knowledge, we don't want that to become something that puffs us up, that, you know, that makes us arrogant like, I know more than you. <laughs> what good is that? I need to love. It, it, it edifies, it builds up others. The knowledge that Paul is seeking on their behalf is of God's will. In a similar passage in Philippians 1.9, if you just kind of flip back there, I'm not going to flip back there, but Paul prays that their love would abound in what? Real knowledge and discernment. 
that their love would abound in real knowledge and discernment. See, love can, we talk about love all the time. And we want love to be the center of peace. And we talk about God is love, you know, and God is love. And so, and the world knows that, by the way. I just thought I'd let you know. The world actually knows that God is love. They're going to always tell you that what you're doing is something that God is not doing because God is love. But love without knowledge is a problem. And, uh, and here he's saying, you know, he wants us to have, uh, our love will abound, it will be abundant, but in real knowledge and discernment. And I've kind of that real knowledge is what drove me to this authentic, my prayer for you to have an authentic faith. An authentic, I'm excusing, knowledge of, of God, of Christ. Because, see, if it's not real, if it's not true, if it's not based in truth, your knowledge of Christ is in trouble. See, we can make up things. We make up a God we want. We make up a Jesus we want. We make Him up in our image, and it becomes a false God. It's not the true Jesus. See, we want to know what the Bible is telling us. We really need to want to know the truth about him and so i want you to have an authentic knowledge of christ many people have a superficial knowledge of god or of, or of christ they know something about church and religion you know you know what i'm talking about well some of you might feel that way yourself might might be in that position yourself i'm not saying that we've all arrived here but we kind of have an idea this is this is what religion is about and we kind of we, we keep it at a distance i read i whoa i read um uh the other day that um, that that people, now where did I get this? I shouldn't do this when it's not on my notes, but but that that I know it was a friend of mine preaching is what it was, but uh, um, and a friend of some of yours. But it was he he said that the people out there, the people out there, they don't know what's going on in here, and they look from out there and they think those people they're one of two things. They're too good for me or they think they're too good for me. And so they don't have a true knowledge because we all know we're not too good for those people out there. In fact, we're just like them or worse. We've been there. We know we've, we've, been, we've been at the bottom at some point in our lives. If we haven't, you will be. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> but they have a knowledge about church and religion, but it's not, it's not, it's not real, it's superficial. Still, they, they miss out on knowing His will, see? They, they, therefore, they miss out on the wisdom and a truly fruitful life. Wisdom, by the way, is, is this ability to piece things together. You know, in the Old Testament, when God said, you know, find somebody of wisdom, and, you know, he sent Moses, find somebody of wisdom, and you've got to find somebody who can piece things together. What? Piece the, the tabernacle together, to put the, to put the Ark of the Covenant together, to, to make all the utensils. That was wisdom. Well, see, we want wisdom today to piece our lives together. And that wisdom comes from God to how to, how to piece our lives together, build relationships uh, with each other and with God. Now, maybe you think you're in control of your relationships. You ever feel like that? I, I've got it down. I got all my relationships all down. You know, well, I, I, my wife and I, we, we, we do stuff with uh, people in, in the real world every so often in, uh, in a chaplaincy role in businesses. And I, I, I walk through the lumber mill every week, and I walk through the um, uh, collision shop, one of the collision shops near locally uh, every week, and I sit there and I talk to these, these guys. And... and um, 
And I'll tell you, it doesn't take long before they discover that their life and their relationships are in a shambles. You ever felt that way, by the way? How many people around you, their life's in a shambles? You look around, you're like, yeah, their life's in a shambles. And, um, and the truth of the matter is, is sometimes they, they, they too thought they had their life under control. They also thought that at one time. They had the relationship, everything was good. But see, an optimal life comes from a worthy walk with Christ. Now, you can't be worthy. Okay, I'll just, I'll just announce that. You can't be worthy on your own. You can't make yourself worthy. I mean, I don't know about you, but I did. Even after I began to follow Jesus, I tried to make myself worthy of him. I failed miserably, and I just thought God hated my guts. Oh, I knew he loved me. I mean, the Bible said so, but I thought that he hated my guts because I could not get there. I couldn't be good enough. But almost everybody tries to do good works. And he talks about here in good works, doesn't he? He talks about the good works. He says that, uh, that, that, you know, I, I think it's interesting, that works that are practical and beneficial. That's what he's talking about. These things will actually do something. And it, it's interesting that Paul doesn't deny this. Instead, he, he, he's, not, he's not saying don't do good works. He says, but those good works aren't good enough. That you can't do it. But he reveals that our good works may or may not bear fruit. In another, another passage, Paul refers to the fruit of the Spirit, that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. You see, this is the reproductive part of Paul's prayer. He's praying that you be reproductive in the fruit of the Spirit and in other people who would come to know Jesus Christ. If we are fruitful, we're going to reproduce of our own kind. And that fruitfulness should be, our, we want our good works to actually produce fruit. And this is, the, this is what pleases God. The other side of this worthy walk, by the way, is, is, is a, our way of life is growth. So we reproduce and we grow. It's kind of the sign of life, isn't it? You know, Paul is actually praying that if, since you're God's people and you're following, and I'm excited about hearing what you're doing, I'm praying for you that you have good works that reproduce others and reproduce fruit in this world, but also that you grow, you know, and that's what we look at in my, this is a great time of year, and it was planting all the plants and all the good stuff, I'm not, but somebody is, and, um, and I love the plants as they come up and hope the rabbit doesn't eat them, and, that, and I'm looking at the, the fruit that comes from that, but the plant continues to grow and produces more fruit, or else it's dead. Now, as you, as you grow, you grow in this way. You gain knowledge of God's will, first of all. But second, you also gain knowledge of God. You get to know God himself. Now, people say you can't know God. There's some people, that's just not a way of really knowing God. But Paul thinks you can. And, uh, and, I, and he seems to know. That, that is, when we carry out the will of God in our lives, see, here's how we know God. When we carry out the will of God in our lives, then he will help us to know him. We get into that relationship with him. You know, it's when we, you know, people say, oh, I don't know what God's will is. Yes, you do. Actually, you do. Because he's written it for you in his word. And as you follow that will, you, you'll see how, how, he, uh, how, how he changes you. And we carry out God's will through service, serving others, through serving, uh, serving him. And, uh, and as we're doing that, we begin to know God. 
You see, serving God results in knowing God mentally and experientially. Remember those holy rumors that I talked about? You know, I, I like to use the term holy rumors or holy gossip because uh, I like that, you know, because it helps me know that it's okay when people are talking about things going on at Renovation Church and people in Renovation Church as long as it's a holy kind of thing, you know. I don't want it to be something that's ugly. But, uh, but the good stuff is good to hear about. You, you know, on, on rare occasions, you hear rumors about someone who really walks with God. There's some people who like, really know God. Oh, no, they don't just talk about knowing God, but they're like, these people really know God. And, but, you know, the, most often they're not someone who's great and well-known. Oh, yeah, I mean, we know about the great preachers. You know, I've got, you know, we can talk about the great preachers and everything, but I'm always interested when I hear rumors that somebody, you know, we have somebody who used to pray, he, he passed away recently, but someone who just prayed. That's all he did. He couldn't see. He was blind, right? He was blind. And uh, so he couldn't see anything, but he prayed. Boy, did he pray faithfully. He was a man who knew God. And just nobody really knew him, but he knew God. And uh, I think God knew him. Um, but they, they're someone who has peace and joy beyond explanation because they know God. Now, my prayer for you is beyond this. My prayer for you is that you... Um, that you, you ha- will have a reason for joy as Christ strengthens you beyond your breaking point. Now, that probably doesn't sound too good to you. Like, he's going to strengthen me beyond my breaking point. I'm, I'm, I know where my breaking point is. I don't want to go there. But Paul uses two forms of the word in verses 11 and 12. Look at what he says here uh, in, in 11 and 12. He says, uh, excuse me, He says, strengthened with all power according to his glory and might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, I got to go back here. No, I can't see it. Let's look at 11 and 12. Can we get that up there? Um, This is where I prefer the the ESV uh, version. Look at this. Glorious might for all endurance and patience. Look at these words, endurance and patience with joy. Endurance and patience with joy. And I think that's really the, the more accurate translation of this verse than my translation. But if you look at this, you can see that, that yeah, I want to be strengthened. By the way, that word strengthened up there is um, actually not a good translation. It's a good translation. It's just not the best. Because it's actually the same word as power, except for the verb form. So he's really saying that you will be empowered with all power. Now, we know what all power is. All power is the resurrection, right? Jesus has resurrection power. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating that. We, all power is the resurrection. What it, but in, if you're strengthened, if you're empowered with that kind of power, that's what he's praying for them. I like that. But the problem is, is we need that at the time of death. That's when we need that kind of power. And I, that part I'm not too crazy about. But this is, this is all power, the resurrection. But the power is lived out in the most earthly of settings. You know what I'm talking about? It's when, when I do go in there and I talk to these guys at the, at the lumber mill or the closing shop. You know, they're struggling just to put up with their work or with their co-workers or their bosses. You know, it's just a struggle to get through life. And so they're, they're, they always talk to me. They're, they're not happy with the relationships. They're not happy with their pay. Life is like that, though, isn't it? Frustrating sometimes. But the Christian life can also be like that. And you, you, you know, it's not like just non-Christians get frustrated on the job. It's not like non-Christians get frustrated with relationships and they don't go well. But, uh, 
You, you try to get along with your family. You try to be kind to your neighbors. You try to be nice to the clerk. You do this because you think it's the Christian thing. It is the Christian thing. But somehow it doesn't work. What you really want to do is, inside, you want to let them have it. You had a bad day, right? I had a bad day. I just want to let them have it. They didn't treat me right. I have two announcements to make. One, good is the Christian thing to do. <laughs> I, I gave one of my coworkers the other day a hard time. I said, you know, you're a Christian. Now, he's a minister, okay? And I said, you're a Christian. You know, um, have you thought about kindness? <laughs> you know, just, I, I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. Um, but see, good isn't the result of personal willpower. I cannot will myself to be good. It, it comes from that new relationship with God that we just talked about. It, it comes from His power that results from His exchanging your qualification because you were qualified for darkness and He qualified you for light. Um, there's a new teaching out, by the way. Anybody hear about this? The Barbara Brown Taylor? He's a reverend in Georgia, a professor, a doctor. So you've got to have, you gotta have all, you know, if you're a doctor, you can, like, know this is important. Um, and she actually is getting a lot of press. And she was in Time, uh, Time Magazine a couple weeks ago, actually, last, yeah, anyway, a couple weeks ago. And she wrote a book, a published, actually, her memoirs, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she's saying that darkness is good. And, uh, and, and to be desired, even. She loves the dark. However, I see Scripture a little bit differently. It indicates, and by the way, she claims to be kind of a Christian, although she also believes in Buddhism and um, Unitarianism and um, other, other things as well. But, uh, but uh, Scripture indicates that the only real good that comes out of darkness is when we find our way into the light. You see, because He is light. And he is giving, giving us the way out of the darkness, the light of his inheritance. You see, when we exchange our light, lot in life for his lot in life, that is coming to the light. Now, left to myself, I'm not so patient. I don't know about you, I'm just not patient. And this is what this passage is talking about. Even for the person who is fully connected to God, um, when life doesn't go well, patience is needed. Now, this is not the wimpy, <laughs> I give up. I'll, put my, put, I'll go through this. This is, this is the stand firm kind of thing. It's steadfast, immovable, as the scripture says. You see, this is the kind of patience I need. I need to stand firm, stand strong, stand fast. That's patience. It's not just resigning myself to the troubles I'm in. And uh, the, the other word Paul uses, endurance or long-suffering. And uh, I, I never have figured out the order, why they're translated, the order they are in the different translations. But just to get, understand these words, that we need this in, in more personal situations. See, I stand firm when the world's coming against me, or when, the, when nature's coming. I got a problem, I got sickness, or I got illness, or I've got problems in life, or whatever. But I need, in, I need the endurance or long-suffering when we go through personal situations, when people treat us poorly. I don't know why people do that. I'm a nice guy, they should leave me, keep, treat me well. Then a bit of gentleness is in order, maintaining a good temper. <laughs> You know, we already know we have that resurrection power. You know, think about it. It's kind of like, you remember James and John? 
you know, Jesus and James and John and his, the crew, they're walking through Samaria and, and, uh, and people aren't treating them too well. They don't want to, they don't want to stop there. And so the, James and John say, let's, let's call down fire from heaven. They knew that that was a possibility. It seemed like a good idea. <laughs> Why'd they do that? Because they were being mistreated. And Jesus said, knowing, of course, that he did have the power to do that, you don't know what you're doing here. And he says, so Jesus in that situation, he said, we have the power. We have the power to bring our desires under control. That's gentleness. Gentleness is having power, yes, but bringing it under control. And, uh, and we, can, we can do that with joy. Well, let me just go, bring us to a close here. Um, just one, I, 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 there's so much more I wanted to talk about, but in verses 13 and 14, we really do need to look at this because the whole reason we can do this is what he tells us right there concluding this. He says, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You see, Paul concludes the prayer part uh, of, of, this, of, this, of this part of the prayer, I'm sorry, um, with a reminder of the dual results of our transfer from the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of another Satan, if you will, to the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, we have redemption, and second, we have forgiveness. And uh, redemption is a financial term that's kind of it's a being bought out of slavery. It's a financial term. So that we, he says redemption, you have been redeemed. You, we were once enslaved to sin. We, the, the active and passive running of our own lives. I, I don't know about you, I always try to run my own life. That's the wrong way. It's guaranteed. I don't care how good you are, it's the wrong way. But he says you're forgiven, you, you are redeemed from that. God had a plan for his cre creation and we chose our own way, but he redeemed us, bought us out of that. We were in a kingdom of darkness, Satan's realm. We were enslaved to his ways. We needed a transfer, and that transfer had to be purchased. And Christ paid the purchase price. But the other part of the transfer is also accomplished by Christ. He brought us forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but sitting down with people week after week and saying forgiveness is available. You can forgive. It's really hard for people. But you know what's more? It's hard for us to believe sometimes that God can forgive us. But Jesus brought us forgiveness, and we know we need forgiveness. Forgiveness wipes away all record of my wrongdoing. Both redemption and forgiveness occur in one fell swoop. These are not one and the same, but they happen at the same time. Now, you may be here today. You know, I know that you've probably heard many different belief systems about how I can get forgiveness, how I can get my life in order. But I want to assure you that there, there are many methods to those, uh, that are touted to achieve those results, but all of those seem to say, I've got to figure out a way to pay my price. I've got to redeem myself. I can't redeem myself. Somebody else has the payment price. I don't. I want to invite you today to consider this. Um, don't invent ways to deal with it. You know, so some is like, you know, I'm going to get rid of it, but I can't because my debt's already there and I keep adding to it. Another method is to invent a system that denies that debt. You know, try that with Uncle Sam, by the way. You know, no, I don't owe you anything. Uh, I, I tried that, it didn't work. 
But I, want to, I, I, I would like to see you come to know that uh, just like these Colossians were knowing, that they can know him day by day. Day by day, they can get to know him and know his will, but know him. Know him. He's the only person worth relating to at that level. And it happens through moving into a relationship with him. He redeems you. He forgives you. You may be here today and you're saying, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. Maybe you've been hearing some holy rumors about some people here. That makes sense. You know, sometime grab one of us, grab anybody here practically and ask him, how do you know? How do you know? What made you so different here? How do you know? Grab one of us before you leave so that you can know for sure that you know this Jesus and that you know this peace and that you can have this confidence that you're forgiven, you've been bought. And won't it be great to know God? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We know that you love us. So we just grant, give you right now opportunity to deal with us the remainder of this service and this time for your glory. Lord, just thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.